let's pray. Bibles are open to Philippians chapter 4, and, um, and we'll get there. Let's go. Father, here we are this morning, this chilly morning, uh, recognizing, Lord, that for every hurt or every problem, uh, you are ultimately the solution to the biggest problem, especially in our lives, that of, of our sin. And we think about that this Christmas, and Lord, I know that for so many people, they don't think about the future. They don't think about um, meeting you someday, Lord. They don't think about their actions and their deeds and their accountability for how they've lived. They, they don't want to think about uh, coming judgment and those kind of things. And um, So Lord, I, I know that we are the group that, that is aware of those things, is aware of, of eternal justice as well as your love and your compassion and your desire that none should perish. Uh, so Lord, you came. You came to show us about yourself. You came to save your people from their sin. Uh, a people that so many today that don't even know they need it. So Lord, I pray that they would see in our lives just something of the Spirit of God, something of the character of the living God lived out through us, Lord. And we're, we know you're going to use your word this morning to teach us and to grow us and to ease our troubled minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. So, you know, it's no secret that this is uh, a time of year when we're supposed to have a Merry Christmas and rejoice, right? But for many of us, it's like, how in the world is that even possible? I mean, there are really, I mean, there's so many, actually, stress that increases uh, at this time of year as opposed to joy. There's so many things. We got enough things to worry about the rest of the year. And then Christmas time comes, and we got all these other things to add. And things in our lives that are already there get actually magnified. I like that Mary said in her song, My soul magnifies the Lord. That's what we need. Our souls magnify our problems. And Christmas seems to magnify them all the more, doesn't it? I mean, we've got all kinds of things to worry about. So many of us, I mean, we're control freaks, right? We like to make sure we are in control. And I find that I'm most anxious when I feel least in control. The reality of, of our, us being in control is all a myth anyway. We're nev we never were in control. But when we try to control everything, uh, especially for people that don't know, I don't know how you get by if you don't know God. Because we at least know the one who is in control. So when we recognize that we are not the one, but we know who is. We can be anxious about our lack of control. We can be anxious about social expectations this time of year. Family expectations. We're overwhelmed. We're overtired. We're overloaded. We're underpaid and underappreciated. We've got to find the right gift. We've got to get the gifts by the right time. For me, that's Christmas Eve. Is there anybody else last-minute shoppers? Oh, man. We've got to then be able to afford the gifts. So there's financial obligations and financial stressors that are exacerbated from the rest of the year. Then we've got to pay off the credit card we used to buy all the stuff we bought to put under the tree. We have to deal with those strange relatives that we have a trouble being around who always make things stressful. We try to control what people think about us. We're worried about letting people down. And then, of course, there's the inevitable weight gain that comes with the holidays. 
And so all of this stuff just increases our stress. And, and, and those are some of the you know, humorous, not so humorous things. And then there's the reality of, of the, the troubles that we face in the broken families, broken hearts, broken lives. And all that stuff at Christmas just seems to be magnified, doesn't it? I stopped watching the news years ago because all the news did was make me stressed out. I mean, not, not, not only do I have to be worried about the things going on in my household, but then the things going on in the church, but now I've got to be worried about the weather in Indonesia and, and this is happening in Africa and, and this happening over here. And over, so the news causes us stressed out, to, to be stressed out about things. And then the way they talk about it on the news is just inflammatory anyway. It just makes us stressed out. They ask the questions very pointed way and really trying to, to cause controversy. And I don't know how many of you watch horror movies. You're out of your mind. I mean, and we wonder why we're stressed out. I mean, wonder why we can't sleep at night because we think some guy's going to come through with a chainsaw to our bedroom in the middle of the night. I don't... So we do, th- we do things... We're crazy. We do things that produce stress. Some of you guys are avid Facebookers. Check this out. Facebook, one study showed that Facebook increases people's anxiety levels by making them feel inadequate and generating excess worry and stress. I mean, you get on your Facebook and you think everybody else is having a great time. And then, and then you think, oh, I feel so bad because they're all having fun and they're, look what they're doing. And they're always being updated and so it increases our stress level. Social media provides constant updates. This motivates people to continually check their status and news feed on mobile devices. Some people feel a constant impulse to check for updates, only feeling relief when they turn off the mobile device. I feel more relief when I step on it. In this study, over half of the respondents felt uneasy when they were unable to access their social media and email accounts. Additionally, Two-thirds had difficulty sleeping due to anxiety and other negative emotions after they had used the sites. The constant updates also led to many respondents to frequently compare themselves to others, leading to feelings of, you guessed it, inadequacy. I don't measure up. Now I'm anxious about that. This anxiety and worry creates chronic stress that could lead to health problems, including mental health issues. So I don't think I have to convince you anymore that stress is a real issue for us as human beings, is it not? I mean, I grew up, my, I remember distinctly my grandfather was uh, very stressed. He would get stressed about the weather. Like if we were going to travel, if there was even in the next three days a chance of snow, I mean, we'd have to be on the road. Like my grandfather, okay, yeah, got to get on the road. We got to leave now. I mean, he was really stressed, really, and, and it caused health problems for him. He, he was hugely stressed, and so I think I'm doing better than that. But the funny thing was, is as I was trying to figure out what to preach about today and thinking about, you know, let's, before we get into the Christmas stuff, let's just deal with anxiety. Because I want you guys to have a merry Christmas, as merry as possible. And certainly, uh, I think there are things that we can do that increase our stress. And there are things that we can do to decrease it. A certain level of stress is not a bad thing. Stress can be very productive, but when it gets to be too much, and you know when it gets to be too much, we start worrying about all kinds of stuff. It actually can, um, can really be troubling and, and distracting and, and cause health problems. So this season, uh, we're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 4, first of all, and we'll have some other things that we look at as well. 
Let's just start in in verse 2, and we'll work our way through down to verse 9. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. It's interesting to read uh, Philippians and to understand the context of all of this is that Paul is writing this from, many of you know, from prison. He's in prison. Now, the attitude of this guy, you, you can't stop a guy who refuses to look at the negative side of things. You, do you know that? Do you, do you know someone like that? Like, like, they make you mad. They make you anxious because they're always so happy. Or they're always so positive. And it freaks you out. And Paul, I mean, just go back to chapter 1 real quick. Just page back to, to chapter 1. The way Paul looks at his circumstances. I mean, so he's not writing from his ivory tower of theological prowess, right? He's not writing from the land of inexperience. He is writing out of his own experiences in his relationship with God. So from prison, he says, verse 12 in chapter 1, he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's in prison. He said, you know, I want you guys to know it's working out great. Why? He, he just, instead of looking at, uh, around him, I mean, he, this is not prison today where you get three squares and a nice cot and exercise and all. You know, this is not the prison. This is, you didn't get food unless someone brought it to you. This is a dungeon. There's no lights. It's dark. It's cold. And you only had what, you know, if people brought you stuff you had, they didn't give you anything. And there he's sitting in there in that, in that prison, and he's going, you know, some of the guards are getting saved. I mean, talk about prison ministry. Now, I'm not saying, you know, go and, and have that ministry. You, know, you don't have to do something to have that ministry. Just... But he's looking at, he's, he's, he's spinning it in his mind to say, you know, I'm going to find something good to look at here. I'm going to figure out what, what's good that's happening. Then go to look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. I mean, there, was, there were people that were preaching Christ just to get at Paul, just to try to get people away from him because they envied him, they were jealous of him. And he was now down, and they were going to kick him while he was down. Well, look what he says. So some do it out of, out of uh, selfish ambition, others do it sincerely. 
uh, are, are not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my change, chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So some had, you know, some because of loving Paul were preaching and others because of envy. And he says in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. In this I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So he's, fi- he's in the midst of his circumstance. He's saying, I know I can find something good from this. And instead of getting in that, you know how your mind gets in that rut? I'm not going to let that happen. And so, yeah, people are preaching, trying to get back at me. People are doing things to, to come down on me. And it's, but you know what? At least they're preaching the gospel. Praise the Lord. Man, how do you have that kind of attitude? And so he says, I'm going to rejoice. Rejoice. And it rhymes. It's a choice. To rejoice is a choice. It really is. And I, I didn't plan that out. just kind of came out. He even talks in the next section about, you know, whether I live or die. It's good. He couldn't find anything, anything bad to think about. If I live, hey, I'll keep preaching. I'll keep ministering. If I die, I get to be with the Lord. It's a win-win. And there's some of you here that could live that way, but you don't. Instead, you choose to look at what? The negative in everything. When, when some of you heard we were going to two services, or, or this was changing, that was, every time anything changes, oh, it's the negative. And, and then, because people will see what they want to see, right? You'll see what you look for. You'll find what you're looking for. If you choose to look for the positive things, then you'll find those. Well, go back to chapter 4 with me. Because there's the, so, you know, what a great thing to, to look at at Christmas. This is conflict, you know. These two people, Euodia, Syntyche, they're, they're, these two ladies are having a conflict. Like, that would ever really happen, right? I knew the Bible was a myth. Like, two ladies would ever have a conflict. In the church... Nonetheless. And so he calls on Timothy to help them. They needed help. They were, they, he, he says that they are both people that have been laboring in the gospel. Both these ladies are blessed servants of God. I mean, they are hard-working ladies in the church. But yet something has happened. We don't know what it is. Something they can't resolve. Some conflict. And, and Paul has to to ask Timothy to, to get with him, help him work it out. And may, maybe this Christmas, you're on the outs with somebody, somebody there's a bitterness or there's, a, there's a, a division between you and somebody. You may need some help working it out. You know, there's sometimes there's issues where you just can't work it out yourself between the two of you because it's him against her or her against her. And, and it's amazing how long people wait. They wait till it's the viral to finally get help. It's too late. I mean, it's never too late, but you know, sometimes you need to seek help, a mediator, together early on before it gets to that point. And so he tells them they, they, they need some help. And instead of being, I, I can imagine, you and Cynthia, I can imagine stealing, it's stealing their joy. I can imagine, you know, he's trying to bring them into the same mind together to think the same thing about the issue, to look at it through the Lord's perspective and not their own. And then he tells them in, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then just anticipating, you're going to say, Did we hear him right? I mean, rejoice always? I mean, that, he can't really mean that, can he? And then he says, Yes, again, I will say rejoice. So he almost knew you were going to have that reaction, that it's not possible, it can't be that we could rejoice always. 
But that's exactly what he says. It doesn't mean everything is always going to go just like you want it to. It doesn't mean that, that God is going to, you know, make, make the path just cushy and, and nice and soft. We know that's not true. But Paul's path wasn't cushy and nice and soft, was it? And he said, hey, here's some things I can rejoice in. You're not rejoicing about the things, and you're not rejoicing in the circumstances. He says, don't, he doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances always. But whatever your circumstances, you know the Lord is always with you. Whether it's in the trials or in the blessings, the Lord is always with you. And that, I mean, what, 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 what is it like? What is it like to live without knowing the presence of God in your life? I, I can't remember. It's been so long. I can remember some of those. That I'm, I don't know where I turned. I, well, I do know where I turned, and it wasn't good. But to, I can rejoice because the Lord is in my life. And I know he loves me, and I know he's powerful, and I know he's wise, and I know all these things. He's sovereign. So, hey, it may not be right now, but I know he's working all things together for good. It might take some time, and i got to obey him, but I know he's working these things for good. But as long as I'm called according to his purposes. The problem, we get all stressed out when we're calling God to work according to our purposes. God, we just need you to get lined up in this thing because I, pl- I got a plan for this Christmas and here's how it's going to go and, and I want you to line up with my plan, God. And then you're stressed out because God's not lining up with your plan because you expect God to, to recognize that you're God and, he, and he's going, uh, Steve, we should think about this a little bit, about really like who's God and who's not. Let your gentleness be known to all men, verse 5 says, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is, man, it's close, folks. Don't you feel it? It's close. We are one day closer than we were yesterday to being rescued from this world. We're one day closer to the rapture of the church. We're one day closer to the second coming of Christ than we were yesterday. I don't know how many more days or minutes we have. But the Lord is at hand, so, so be gentle with each other. Gentleness, another way you could translate that is leniency leniency be lean you ever know someone that was lenient or, or you had you were going to be punished and someone decided to be lenient with you it, it's not it's not uh prosecuting someone to the full extent of the law I, mean, I have some leeway here and i'm not going to take uh, i'm not going to go with both barrels blazing at you i'm going to be lenient i'm going to choose to overlook this or overlook that that's what be gentle look in the church you know the church the, the world sees how hard people in the church are on each other. I mean, we're so hard on each other. We're so demanding of each other. And that produces what? Stress. Now I'm coming in here. We, we are great. The church is great at raising hypocrites. Because we set this high standard. And if someone doesn't measure up, oh, you know. I remember being on a, my mission trip to Ukraine years ago. I was traveling with this guy who, was, who had been an alcoholic. And he'd been... Um, uh, on ecstasy, and he smoked cigarettes. And so we're on this trip, and, and he goes out of the restaurant, he starts smoking a cigarette, and a couple other people on the trip are like, oh, can you believe that guy, he's, he's smoking cigarettes. I'm like, praise the Lord, he's smoking cigarettes. He was doing ecstasy three weeks ago. I mean, we're making improvement here. Another, another guy I heard tell a story, this was great, As, you know, a couple uh, coming into the church, uh, they'd par- pulled in the parking lot, and and, and another couple pulled in next to them, and they get out, and they walk into, in, into the church, and they hear the couple screaming at each other in the car. And 
And so they come into the church, they say, Pastor, you know, we just heard this couple, they're, they're out there screaming at each other. He says, praise the Lord, they were beating each other two weeks ago. You know, they used to, they used to beat, abuse each other, but now they're just screaming. So praise the Lord. They were so hard on each other. And Paul says, look, folks, when you come into a situation, and he's telling this to Yodia and Syntyche, and he's telling it to us too, you know, be gentle with each other. Yeah, you could expect more. You're going to be disappointed with each other. But God never, listen, this is, for you control freaks that struggle with stress and struggle with anxiety, God never called us to control one another. He called us to love one another. And we spend so much time trying to control one another. And that's why we all get so stressed. And that's why we produce hypocrites, because people want to be accepted. So they're going to try to live up to the standard we set. And they're going to fail, because we all fail at it. We don't even, listen, we don't even live up to our own standard. We violate our own conscience regularly, especially at Christmas. I died to sweets like three, three weeks ago. I just, I, I ate too much sweets. I said, ah, that's it, I'm dead to sweets. You know, I'm not, no more, no more. And then someone brought cookies to the church. And I came alive again. I resurrected the sweets. <laughs> Be gentle. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. One of the things about being ready is, and Jesus tells a story about this. He says, when, when the master comes back, he shouldn't find the servant beating his fellow servants. Don't, don't, let, don't let Jesus find you beating up on the other servants when he comes back. That's not your job. So then we get to verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious. And to be anxious means to, um, to be divided or distracted. It means to have your mind pulled in different directions. It means to be careful, to be full of cares. I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. And we are. We are, we are worried about everything, and the news makes it worse, and the social media makes it worse. And we do the opposite, don't we? He says, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. We're anxious about everything and pray about nothing. I mean, when we serve food or have a Bible study, the, the church gets packed. But when it's prayer night, it, it's very small. And I'm not saying the only prayer is corporate prayer, right? There, there's, you know, we, we have these anxieties. The question is, and, and really, in, in the Greek language, it would mean um, don't keep on being anxious. So in other words, they were anxious. They were being filled with cares and worries. And he says, don't keep doing that. But that would be, if he just said stop it, we'd be like, well, how can I stop it? I mean, I can't just not be stressed, right? I mean, what do I do if I'm not stressed? I'm used to drama in my life. I don't know how to live if there's not drama. So I've got to create some drama because it doesn't feel normal if there's not drama and stress. And he says the answer is prayer. He uses uh, three different types of prayer, three different words, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. So prayer is just the, the general word for our uh, communication with God. Supplication means a specific request. What is it that you're stressed about? Because likely it won't, even, it won't even matter in three weeks or three months or three years or five years, the thing you're worried about right now. Jesus said, don't worry about it. Didn't he? 
Why do you worry about tomorrow? You know, worry doesn't change a thing. You spend so much time and energy worrying, but, that, but you're powerless. And you think, see, here's the thing. In our minds, we feel like we've got to do something, so we talk about it and we worry about it and accomplish nothing. When if you would pray, you'd accomplish something. Prayer gives you something to do to feel like you're ministering to or you're addressing the stresses that you have. But worrying and telling three people and putting it on Facebook doesn't actually do anything to solve your problem. It just causes that rut in your mind. See, it starts out as a thought running like a little stream through your mind. And then as you continue to meditate on it and think about it more and more, that, that rut gets deeper and deeper and deeper until it becomes a chasm from which your thoughts can't escape. And then every thought is filtered into that chasm in your mind through that stress and worry. And so he says, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And not with blame. Some, some people just want to come to God to blame God when they're stressed out. It's your fault, God. But he says you can pray about it. You can talk to God. And I don't want to use that as, as kind of a... Uh, you know, just a, a, a theological answer. Just here's the, here's the Sunday school answer. Well, why don't you pray about it, you know? But those of you that have been walking with the Lord, some of you, this verse is highlighted, underlined, and, and everything, dog-eared. I mean, you know this verse. And I know this verse. Because in my mind, I tend to always focus on the negative thing. So this verse is a constant reminder for me about prayer. And prayer is not something that we have to be in a certain place at a certain time and do a certain way. I mean, Corporate prayer is great, but corporate prayer can be stressful in itself, can it? I mean, some people, they don't come to prayer because, well, what, what if my prayer doesn't measure up? That guy, he, he prays so great, and I, my prayers are terrible. And then, boy, I, I was praying one time in this group. At the, we were at the soup kitchen, and we get bef- uh, around the table beforehand, and we pray with each other. And sometimes if, you're st- if you come stressed to prayer, like, you know, type A personality, they discovered that because in the cardiologist's office, it was that he noticed the trend that the front of the seat and the hand, the armrests were worn, which normally you'd expect the back of the seat and the elbows to be worn. But in the cardiologist's office, it was the front of the seat because people were, were edgy. And that's why they were there at the cardiologist. And so you come kind of stressed and everything is tense and tight. So I, I was just a little stressed out this, this one Friday and we're in this prayer circle and I'm thinking and I'm listening to the person praying and the woman next to me, she's probably in her 80s, right? And I just saw a tear coming out of her eye, right? And, and I thought, oh, she's being moved by the prayer. But then after the prayer, I realized I had a death grip on her hand. I'm like, you know, she's like just trying to, no, she wasn't crying. That's just, that's exaggeration. Um, but I did, I had a death grip. You ever been in a prayer group like that? Like the guy next to you is just like grabbing your hand. You're like, oh, I'm going to die. But prayer can be stressful. Don't let that, you know, don't, don't get into all those. There's so much, again, stress and anxiety about prayer. The Bible ex- encourages us to come to God with the faith of a child. I, lo- I was doing this study, and I looked on the carpet next to the wood stove, and there were our, my two dogs just laying there. They didn't have a care in the world. Not a care in a, I was jealous of them. Because I'm like, well, yeah, sure, I provide warmth for you. We provide your food. We let you in, let you out. We take care of all your needs for you. And then the Lord reminded me of, of Jesus himself. Why worry about tomorrow, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat? 
Doesn't God clothe the, the flowers of the field? Doesn't he care for the sparrow? Then how much more will God take care of you? And I, I like this one. This is Jeremiah chapter 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, listen, and whose hope is the Lord. Not whose hope is in the Lord, but whose hope is the Lord. A person. Not what the Lord is going to do, or what he's gonna, how he's going to fix my problem, or how my circumstance is going to change. My hope is him. Not just in him, my hope is him. I'm connected to him. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and, it will, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. I like that picture Jeremiah paints of the, the tree planted by the water, just like Psalm 1. And that's how you get yourself planted by the water because, see, you need something to break that cycle of thinking in your life. And that's what I need when I get anxious. It's prayer. And God's going to do one of two things. He's either going to change your circumstance, and I've seen him do that. Or I, and Helga will attest to it. There's times where Helga, you know, she's, she's able at things. You know, she's able to do things and accomplish things much more than I am. <laughs> and I was say, just, we just got to wait. We just got to wait. Let's wait on this. Let's wait on the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you know, two weeks, three weeks later, it's like the Lord has solved the problem in a way that I never could have. And, and, and it's both of us, we just look at each other like, wow, I never could have, I never would have come up with that solution on my own. But through prayer and waiting on the Lord and letting him work it out, you know, you know what to do. You do the things you know to do. You love people. You love your enemy. You forgive people. You do the things you know to do. And, and you let God work out the other stuff. You pray and say, God, you know what I'm worried about. And so he's either going to change your circumstance or what's he going to do? He's going to change you. Sometimes when I pray, oftentimes when I pray, I like when I sit down to pray to God and I, and I hear myself talking and I say, I can't believe I'm saying those things. You know, oh, I wish my boss were just... And God says, really, Steve? Is that what you're praying for? You sure about that? That doesn't line up with what I'd like for your boss. I'd like your boss to be saved. I think your boss would be better if he was saved. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, Lord. I forgot about that for a minute. And so God, some, a lot of times in prayer, God is changing my circumstances. But oftentimes in prayer, God is changing my heart. And then all of a sudden, the anxiety begins to go away. But I've got to, but it's hard. You've got to wrestle, right? You've got to do that mind battle. Because that's what he says here. You come to God, you pray with thanksgiving. And that's just a choice to, to be thankful to God. You let your request be made known to God. And, and the result of this is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, the peace that belongs to God. Now think about God. Is he worried? Is God on the throne? You know, is he, oh no, I can't believe Steve did that. Oh, I can't believe they're doing that in Jerusalem. I can't believe they're doing that here. Is God worried? Does God worry? He is in control, and he doesn't worry. He is intimately involved in the affairs of mankind. He knows just what to do, and his timing is impeccable. Not according to us, of course. We'd like his timing to be much different, 
But God's timing is perfect. And so the same peace that God has, you can have when you trust him, when you lay things on him, when you give your cares to him. You say, God, I'm I'm done with this one. You got to handle this. And he says, about time, you know, about time. Any of you found God solving problems for you? You found that God is, you worried about something that all of a sudden it came to pass and you realized you didn't have to worry about it anyway? I mean, if you could know the future, like you could know what would happen in six months, you wouldn't spend all the time worrying six months ago because you knew that the solution was going to be good, that, that God would work it out. And the peace of God, which is, the word surpasses, it means superior or better or supreme. Um, it, Paul uses that word a couple other places. He uses it in chapter 3, verse 8, where he says, I count all things lost for the excellence, same word, of the knowledge of Christ. So something is more excellent or supreme over another. And he says that peace of God that's internal is more excellent and cannot be produced by simply understanding or your mind or thinking. You can't just think about something in your mind and produce that peace. You, you, you might say, well, I, if only I could understand why this is happening. That may not bring peace. That may actually bring more anxiety. But God says, when you talk to me about it, when you come to me through it, for it, when you trust me in it, you can have a peace of God, the, the peace of God that is, is beyond, is supreme to, more excellent than anything that can be produced by your mind. And that peace of God then sets up a guard around two things, your heart and your mind. And I need, my my mind, boy, I need, we spend so much time eating brain candy on the TV and and all that stuff. We spend so much time eating that stuff. It's like junk food for the mind, right? It's easy to get. It doesn't nourish us. But it's there, so we eat it. But the things that are good, like making a salad, you got to work at that. I need more brain salad rather than brain candy. And and so this peace of God, time in prayer, time in the Word, and and using the Word of God to to counsel my mind and to force it. You've got to labor and continue at it until you have the peace. You continue to meditate on the Word of God. You continue to, to, to think about the right things and to force your mind to think about the right things until you have that peace of God. That's when you stop that's when you you lay down and you get to sleep, right? You may labor for hours, forcing your mind to stop thinking those thoughts and and forcing and reading your Bible, even if you can't concentrate on it right away. You you just keep in it, you keep in it, you keep in it and keep counseling yourself in your mind until God produces that peace in your heart. And this is what he says, and that's a guard for our lives, this is why I need to be in church all the time. Because I tend toward worry. I tend toward thinking on the wrong things. So I come here, and all of a sudden this morning, I don't know what you came worried about, but now you're really worried about it because all we've been talking about is worry all morning. But typically you come here, like you've got all these cares and worries about jobs and family and kids and money and all those things, and you start to sing. And all of a sudden now you're focused on the words and the song. And Because you can't think about, listen, multitasking is a myth. Multitasking is just quickly moving back and forth between two thoughts or two things. You can only think about 
one thing at a time. That is a scientific absolute truth. Your mind can only think about one thing at a time, and you have to tell it what to think about. That's why Paul says next, and I, I won't go into this, where it's time for communion. So finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, and if there's anything of virtue, and, and, I, and if there's anything praiseworthy, and there's got to be something praiseworthy, right? Something you can go, oh, praise the Lord about that. I got a flat tire this morning, you know, ah, bummer, you know, praise the Lord, I got three full ones, right? I mean, it's just how you look at it. Only one of them is flat. You know, that's good news, right? Could have been all four of them flat. Whatever is praiseworthy, and if, he says, meditate on these things. That's what you have to force your mind. I'm telling you, this is hard work, folks. If you want to be carefree, if you want to have a carefree Christmas, then you've got to do the work in your mind to take back control, to bring every thought captive to Christ. Bring that thought into obedience to him, and you will find your stress begins to dissolve. So if we could have the, the folks that are going to serve communion uh, begin to, to get that ready. I'm going to pray. And uh, what a great time to talk about some of the things that uh, with the Lord in prayer while we take communion. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what thing you're stressed about. I don't know what thing you're worried about. Uh, worried about me ending on time so you can get breakfast. There is no way. See, I worry because how am I going to preach this again next service? I don't know. I just, I don't take notes, so there's a lot to worry about, but there's so much to be thankful for, isn't there? There can be 20 things to be thankful for and one thing to worry about, and we'll worry about that one thing all day. So we're gonna, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're gonna, uh, Phil's going to lead us in some music while the communion team is, is handing out the communion elements. Um, as they come around, just hold on to the, uh, the bread and the cup, and then we'll all partake together um, after, we, uh, after everybody is served. Father, uh, again this morning, Lord, your word is so good and right and true. And you have told us things that um, even still today scientists think they are discovering. You've told us about the power of positive thinking in our lives to reduce stress and anxiety. You've warned us to, to stop stressing and start believing you and start trusting you. And Lord, for any that are anxious or, or full of worries, that uh, we know, Lord, that it's not your fault. We fully take the blame for our own minds. You've given us everything that we need. You've given us yourself. And that's what we remember, that you have given us your very life. So Lord, I pray that others would see us and our ability to cope and would ask us how in the world we can cope and we can tell them about you. That we have a Father in heaven who loves to give good gifts to its children, who loves to hear their needs and, and answer their prayers according to his perfect will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's soon-to-be-stress-free people said, Amen, Amen. The communion will begin coming around.